Welcome home. I'm John Hernandez, and you have tuned in to the CFA Church Podcast. If you have any questions about CFA Church, feel free to visit us at cfachurch.com. We pray that you would walk away from this moment loving Jesus and changing the world. Enjoy the podcast. Well, we want to say welcome to everybody that is joining us. Welcome to our online family and at every location. We've been in this series, um, and there are, there, there are royals. There are royals in the house. Isn't that cool? There are royals in the house. And I don't mean like I'm about to bring up a special guest on stage. I'm talking about you. So turn to your neighbor and say, welcome, royal. Say, welcome, king. Welcome, queen. And... So you are, you are a royal. But here, here's, the, here's the challenge with that. You say, Pastor, I, I don't feel like a royal. I know. That's because you're Mia. And, and so what, what I mean by that is that you're the princess of Genovia, but you don't know that you're the princess of Genovia. And so you need your paternal estranged grandmother to fly over from Genovia and to land and to tell you that you have royalty in your blood. And then, But here's the other problem. You, you, this caught you off guard, and so you don't know how to act like a princess. You just know how to act like an awkward teenager in algebra class. And so God has to train you in, in your royalty. And the other problem with this illustration is I have absolutely lost every man in the house. So let me move on. You're not, you're not just Princess Mia. You, you are King Aragorn. So doesn't that feel better? Can I, get a, can I get some sort of grunt or male sound from all the fellas in the house? Like you're a king. You are a warrior king. But you didn't know you were a king. And so you're out there riding around as Strider, Ranger of the North. You are living beneath your calling. Do you hear me? I think that's the, that's the present situation of, actually, I would say most, most Christians, is they're living beneath their calling because they don't realize their royalty or if they realize that they're not being willing to be trained as a royal. And so we have, we have a bunch of Mias and we have a bunch of Aragorns and, and honestly, we have a bunch of Simbas. And what I mean by that is we got people uh, prancing around singing Hakuna Matata, eating grub worms with Pumbaa and Timon instead of stepping into your destiny and your inheritance. And that was cute when you're eight, but it's time to grow up and step in as the king. Come on, somebody. Like, like we have royalty in our DNA, and you're like, that's awesome. How do I, how do I get it? I'm going to train you. And that's my assignment. My assignment from heaven during this series is to get you to use your pain as your training ground. And you say, Pastor, I'm out. But before you, before you check out, because here's the thing. Here's what we've been talking about. You're going to go through hardship anyways. You're going to walk through. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. We all walk through stuff. And can I just remind everybody in the house, so maybe you're a visitor or you're new, can I tell you that this is a safe place to hurt? It's a safe place to doubt. It's a safe place to walk through some pain because you're among people who at times hurt and doubt and walk through pain. So this is a safe place 
place. And if you've got it all figured out, if you would just find the uh, appropriate opportunity to slip out and go to the other perfect church that I'm not aware of because none of the rest of us have this in, have this figured out. And so this is a room of imperfect people that offer each other grace. Can I get an amen for that? That's what kind of, so if you're like, I don't know what, I don't know what kind of church I'm in. I don't know what I got myself into. My neighbor invited me. That's what you walked into. You walked into a group of imperfect people who are just trying to lean into Jesus the very best that we can. So our theme scripture through this series has been Romans chapter 8. And the apostle Paul tells us this. And since we are God's children, we're the child of the king. And so that makes us royals. And also we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are the heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. And that's where we're saying, like, Paul, I wish you would have run out of ink. I wish you would have got distracted. Because if there was, like, a royal magic wand, a magic amulet, a magic pill that we could all take, like, we're in for that. But God trains us as royals through his royal training academy. The teacher is the Holy Spirit, and the classroom is the painful situation that you're going through right now. And we've been saying things like this, that, that God doesn't cause our pain, but he can use your pain. We, we've, been, we've been talking about uh, uh, things, things like this, that, that our pain has a purpose. Our pain has a purpose and that God's not mad at us. He's training us. And it's those kind of truths that as we find, okay, I don't want to go through this situation, but as long as I'm going through it, Holy Spirit, teach me train me so that I, I, I can step in. And we've been using kind of our running story um, is the story of the Israelites. So God took the Israelites out of Egypt, but then he had to get the Egypt out of them. And their story is our story. Their process is our process. And, and as we walk through all of these places, uh, we walk through in our lives basically everything that the Israelites walk through. It looks different thousands of years later, but, but the Egypt, when we talk about Egypt, we're talking about our, our sin and our bondage. When we talk about the Passover, uh, the blood of Jesus that was over the doors, that is our salvation. The Red Sea is our deliverance, where we say that we're not going to dwell among our chains. We're going to make a clean break from bondage. Mara is our test of bitterness, where we say, I will not live as a victim of my past. Mara is where we say, I will invite the cross into my life and my bitterness will become sweetness. Elam is the place of palms where we get our foretaste of the future and the season of manna where we say, what is it? And, and we, it's the test of trust and we say, I will trust God when it doesn't make sense. And we pick up this story now in Exodus chapter 17. I want to preach to you today on this title, Strike the Rock. At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place, and eventually they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. I want to teach a little bit just on the names of these places, and as I'm teaching, let me encourage you as you read the Bible 
Um, don't just read those names of places. So when you read the name of a person or a place or an altar or a well, when somebody named something in the Bible, that has significance. And you don't have to be a, a super Bible scholar to understand these things. It's called Google or it's called uh, BibleGateway.com or BibleHub.com. And you can hop on there and just with a few clicks, you can find out what these names mean. And those names are important. And so you, as you study the Bible, that's a way that you can kind of dig in a little bit more. So these names have actually have a lot of meaning to them. The wilderness of sin is not like we think, oh, it's the wilderness of sin, the wilderness where they just disobeyed or rebellious. Uh, that word sin is talking about, it means thorns. So it's the wilderness of thorns. So then you just start to ask yourself, so not just the name, but what, okay, what's that talking about? Where, where have I heard thorn, thorns before? Maybe you weren't raised in church. Uh, let me tell you this story. If you were raised in church, you'll remember this story. So where, where were thorns first introduced in the Bible? Well, the Bible says that when God created Adam and Eve, he created them in this place of paradise that was the Garden of Eden. And they, they had three layers of perfection. Everything was perfect, but in these three areas, they had a perfect relationship with God, they had perfect relationship with each other, and they had a perfect relationship with their surroundings. And so work, work is actually from God and it's before the curse. And I know you're looking at me strange and you're saying, Pastor, you don't even know what kind of week I had at my job. I know, but work in and of itself, believe it or not, work is before the curse. Where it got all messed up is when Adam and Eve sinned and then thorns got introduced into the picture. So Adam's job, one of his jobs was to, to till the soil and to bring forth produce from the land. And there weren't any thorns. After sin, there were thorns that caused toil in the work. So that's why your Wednesday went the way it went. That's why that meeting with that person went the way it went. That's why it's Sunday and you're looking forward just to kicking back and getting a Sunday afternoon nap, but you're already a little bit stressed about the coming week. That's why, because there's thorns in our, in our toil. And so the Israelites were walking through the wilderness of thorns, the wilderness of work, and they were thirsty in the wilderness of thorns. And then they come to a place called Rephidim. And Rephidim means rest. So, so here's the thing. They're going from their place of work, their place of thorns, into their place of rest. And, and you can see them, right? They're anticipating, I'm leaving my thorns, and I'm coming. I'm coming to my place of rest. They're like, it's, it's Friday. They're clocking out on Friday afternoon. It's even, even the fighting the traffic on Friday is different than having to fight the traffic on Wednesday because it's, it's like it's my day and it's Saturday and it's the weekend and I can't wait just to, to relax a little bit. But the problem, here's the problem for the Israelites, is they were just in the wilderness of thorns and they were thirsty and they got to Rephidim and their thirst did not get quenched in Rephidim initially. Their thirst began to increase in their place of rest. Have you ever been there? 
Here's what I'm talking about. So you worked an 80-hour week. You worked overtime every single day. And you're like, but Saturday's coming. And I got a bowl of nachos with my name on it. And my football team, a college football team, is playing on Saturday. And I don't even have to mow the lawn because it hasn't rained in North Carolina for about 82 days. But I do have to weed eat because the weeds don't need rain for whatever reason. The weeds grow in every season. And there's probably a lesson there. But you get out your weed eater and you pull your weed eater and 30 minutes later you're still pulling your weed eater and and you're and you're thirsty in refidem and you're saying i get it when i was thirsty and i was working overtime on tuesday but this is my refidem and i'm angry and i'm thirsty in refidem have you ever gotten on an airplane and you have saved up for your dream vacation for two years and you can't wait to leave it all behind and you left it just about all behind you left the dogs behind you left the chores behind you left the work behind you let you even left the kids behind and and you, let, you left everything behind except for all of the problems that you seem to pack in your mental suitcase. Have you been there? You're thirsty in Rephidim. Have you ever been, it's a Saturday, and you're watching your kid's soccer game, and you know you should be paying attention because it's soccer, and you don't understand soccer. And referee, why are you calling offsides? What, what's offsides? Like, what is that? And maybe that's just me. But, like, you're just watching, watching your kids play soccer, and you, and you should be enjoying the soccer game, but your mind is on your phone trying to fix a problem that should have already been fixed, and you're thirsty in Rephidim, and you're laying on the couch and you're just trying to veg out and watch TV. This is Rephidim and you're on the beach and you know you should be relaxing, but your mind is on the subcontractor that told you that the project was going to be finished two weeks ago and the project is not finished and you're thirsty. And I get it when I'm thirsty in the wilderness of thorns, but I'm thirsty in Rephidim and now I'm really frustrated. Have you been there? Don't, me don't mess up my Saturday. Like, don't, don't mess up my vacation. So what do you do when you get to the point where not even, not even a weekend solves your problems? And not even the vacation that you thought was going to help you enter into a peaceful season and, and you're not feeling peace. And let's continue here. So the Bible goes on to say that once more, and that once more is probably a little bit of an understate. I'm telling you these these. Uh, the modus operandi is complaining. So once more, the people complained. And they were complaining in Egypt, and they were complaining at the Red Sea, and they were complaining on the other side of the Red Sea. And, and so once more, the people complained, give us water to drink. They demanded, quiet, Moses replied, why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing, why are you testing the Lord? Do you see how God sees complaining? See, God actually views our complaining against leadership as testing of him. And those are vastly interconnected. And I don't mean to make light of the Israelite situation, but I would like to suggest an alternative way that they could ask the question. So, so they were saying, they were demanding, where's my water? Where's my water? Okay. Uh, million plus people, all the Israelites. I'm not, I'm not saying you're not thirsty. I get it. You're thirsty. You need water. It's a legitimate need. But they're complaining. Where's my water? Where's my water? Have you, have you ever been around where's my water people? It's like they, they lead with their need. 
You're not in a conversation with them for more than two minutes before you know everything that is wrong in their life and in their sister's life and in their brother-in-law's life and in their nephew, like everybody. And so, like, we're the body of Christ and we share, we share each other's burdens. And so, like, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying people that always lead with their need. And so they were, where's my water? Where's my water? And again, I get it. You need water. But just time out, Israel. Can I help you craft your words here? Because they were a month removed from slavery. So maybe a better way to ask that question before they said, could I have a glass of water, please, would be to say something like this. God, I remember it was just a month ago and every other household in Egypt, I heard wailing because the firstborn of every household, the firstborn son of every household was killed. And maybe that would have been a good place for them to just grab their firstborn son and pull him close and say, God, thank you for my boy. Thank you for my kid. And maybe it would be a good place for the Israelites to say, God, and that Red Sea thing, like that was pretty amazing. I've never seen water split in all of my life. God, thank you that you are the God of water. And thank you that you provide me a way through problems when I don't see my way through this problem. And maybe that would be a good place to say something like this. God, and even thank you for Moses. I know he stutters. I know he killed a guy 40 years ago. That was pretty bad. But thank you, God, for an imperfect leader, because that shows me that you're a God that uses imperfect people. And that's me. So God, thank you for my leader. And God, thank you for the quail. Oh man, God, that was a quail feast that we had. And so what happens is you still have the same need, but you go into asking for that with a different mindset. Are you with me? Because when you thank God for what he gave you in the past, you see that God is the God who provides for you. And you say, God, I still need some water, but you did all of that stuff in the last month for me. I don't see any reason why you can't provide water in my current situation. And I'm thankful that I'm preaching to a bunch of thankful people. So that can we just take about five seconds and express our gratitude? Come on, somebody express your gratitude to the Lord right now for his salvation, for his healing, for his deliverance, for your, for your children, for everything. And, and if you, oh my goodness, if you live with gratitude in your life, it will change your outlook for the future and you'll ask you'll ask differently I sometimes say that to my kids I'm like ask differently I'll say this I'll say this I'll say let's try that again <laughs> I think sometimes it's like God's like that's a good request let's try that again <laughs> let's try with a different mindset but I but tormented Verse 3 now, but tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Let me help some leaders out in the room. Many of you hold uh, leadership positions. Sometimes when people come to you with problems and it looks like they're complaining against you, they're not complaining about you. They're complaining because they, they're thirsty. Are, are, are you tracking with me? So somebody may be saying, um, I'm not happy with you, but they're coming to you out of an empty soul. And, and so that may not change 
the situation, but it may change how you respond to somebody. If you realize that they are thirsty, if you realize that they are tormented by their thirst, then it's not about you. It's probably not even about the situation. It's probably about the lack in their own life. And so that will help you to pray for them differently. That will help you to speak uh, to them differently. And so it continues, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call that... Uh, well, let me, let me put it this way. Have you ever, have you, football fans in the house, have you ever seen, I think it's on the NFL Network on Monday, they do a section, a uh, little segment called Overreaction Monday. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this, the Israelites, the Israelites go into, into drama mode, and they go into over, why have you brought us, at, like, they haven't had water for, like, I don't know, a day or so. Why have you brought us out here? You're trying to kill us. You're trying to kill our, our kids. You're trying to, this is overreaction, overreact. You know, uh, uh, football fans, again, you will do this this afternoon, and you will do this tomorrow. You will overreact, and you'll turn on WFNZ, and you'll be mad that your team, and the they should get rid of the quarterback and fire the coach. They should have fired the coach last season, and they should have probably moved the team. And why did we trade? Why did we trade our number one draft pick? Why did we just trade our number one draft pick for the next season? And why do we do this? And why is the coach putting up the? And we we over we tend to live. Sometimes we like the, we're like the Israelites, and we tend to live in overreaction mode. And then Moses cried out to the Lord, "What should I do?" With these people, they're ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people. There's a little, uh, another little leadership lesson. And so when you're dealing with challenges among whatever, parents that are complaining if you're a teacher or staff problems, if you're in management or at work or, or you're an entrepreneur and you've got some people working, if you've got a real challenge that you're walking through, sometimes you can't solve the problem when you're among the people, Okay. Sometimes the strategy is not, Moses did not do this. This is a word for, for somebody. Moses did not to get, get together a little commi committee and brainstorm the solution. That's not wrong in every situation, but there are some problems where you got to get ahead of the people. How do you get ahead of the people? You get with God. So the answer to the problem that you may be facing may not be in the meeting. It may be, it may be in a meeting, but it may just not be in a meeting with people. It may be in a meeting with the king of kings. And so you go to God and you say, God, only you can solve this. Walk out in front of the people. Leaders sometimes have to walk out in front of the people. And then he said, take your staff. Take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. So another little, just kind of throwing out leadership nuggets here. For those of you in positions of leadership, don't lead alone. It'll get lonely. It'll get, you'll start to turn inward. You'll start to lead in your head. You'll start to live in your head. He took some of the elders, so he got out ahead, but then he brought some of the elders, bring that leadership team with you. And then it says this, I will stand before you on the rock, I'll stand before you on the rock of Mount Sinai. And then he says these words, strike the rock, strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. And then the people will be able to drink. And so Moses struck 
the rock as he was told and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Here's what you've got to understand about the geography of where they were. So they came out of the wilderness of thorns. They were at that place called Rephidim. It was near Horeb. It was near Mount Sinai. Uh, archaeologists disagree a little bit about where this is in, in modern day. Uh, so some people think it's maybe modern day Turkey or modern day Egypt. I'm just going to tell you for the purposes of this or any other conversation, it really doesn't matter because the terrain is the same. So God is talking about water and this is the this is the context of which God is speaking about water. And the problem is I don't see a stream. And this is where some of you are living to where you're hearing biblical promises and God is saying, I have water for you. But your reaction, if you're honest, is God, I, I don't see a stream. And so you're in a season of your marriage where the last season of your marriage was all about the kids and you were running the kids from dance recital to soccer practice and this activity and youth activities. But now, now you're an empty nester and you're staring across the dinner table at a person like they're a stranger and your marriage is in a dry season and you're like, God, where is the stream and some of you are trying to raise a teenager and raising a teenager is different than raising a fourth grader and you're saying God where is the stream some of you are some of you are staring at that Wells Fargo app like if you stare at it long enough the zero is going to move from after the decimal point to before the decimal point and you're saying God where is the stream and some of you got another doctor's report and you were believing that this was the one that was going to change it but it's but it's it's God wears the stream. And it's in that context where God tells Moses to strike, strike in the season of barrenness. Because here's what somebody needs to know is that God does not need what you think that he needs to provide for what you need. My God can bring water out of a rock. My God can bring a miracle out of barrenness. And so I want to preach to somebody that has been walking through and you say, God, I've been wanting a child and we're walking through infertility. God, I don't see a stream, but God doesn't need what you think he needs to provide for your needs. And it can be in the season of barrenness where God provides his greatest miracle because, because how, how you gotta, you gotta strike the rock, strike the rock. So what, what is that about? What is that talking about? And so if you've, if you notice this too, God tells Moses to use the same staff to strike the rock that Moses struck the Nile. Did you catch that, that little phrase in there? Take the same staff. Moses, I know you got a bunch of wood carvers over there and they're carving you a bunch of new, uh, new staffs and they look fancy. And, but I, but this, this time I want you to get the old staff. I want you to take that old staff and I want you to use that staff that you use to strike the Nile. And if you remember, if you don't know the story, what happened is when they were in bondage in Egypt, God sent Moses to, to perform some miraculous signs, some plagues to show the Egyptians that Yahweh was the one true God. And when Moses took the staff and he struck the Nile, that water turned into blood. So when he struck the water, blood flowed. 
And then God says, take the same staff. Take the same staff where blood flowed. And Moses, I'm going to need you to walk over to that rock. I'm going to need you to walk over to that relationship that looks barren. I'm going to need you to walk over to that situation where it doesn't look like there's any hope. I'm going to need you to walk over to that situation that looks dry, that situation that is screaming at you. You're not a good leader. Why'd you get these people in this situation? You didn't hear my voice. And I'm going to need you to take that same staff and strike the rock. And in that circumstance, water flowed. So he struck the Nile and blood flowed. And then he struck the rock and water flowed and blood flowed and water flowed. And what I remember is then the story about a man named Jesus who was hanging across on the cross and he walked through the wilderness of sin. It was the wilderness of thorns, but those thorns were woven into a crown that they pressed upon his head. And then it says that as he hung upon the cross, one of the Roman soldiers took a sword and thrust it in his side. And the gospel writer says in the book of John that when the sword was removed, blood and water flowed. So when they struck the rock, the provision of blood flowed. When they struck the rock, the provision of water flowed. And do you know that we have the same access to the same rock in the same situation that when we strike the rock, pastor, I don't know how I'm going to make it strike the rock. Pastor, I don't know how my marriage is going to make it strike the rock. Pastor, I don't know how my kids are going to come back to him. Strike the rock. Pastor, I don't know how my healing is going to take place. Strike the rock. The answer is in the rock. The healing is in the rock. I'm going to preach this until somebody gets it today that your answer is in the rock. The provisions in the rock. The miracles in the rock. Come on, I'm going to need somebody to strike At all of our locations, we're going to receive Holy Communion. You should have received the elements as you came in. I'm going to ask you to just take those elements. Hold them in their hand. Take these moments as the worship team leads us. And just center your mind on the rock. Center your heart on the rock. And in just a few moments, we will receive those elements together. Just 
and hold the wafer in the hand. You say, Pastor, you didn't give me my Royal Training Academy lesson of the day, but I, it's okay. I got it. I got it. Here it is, and I don't need you to write it down because I know your hands are occupied at this moment, but here it is. Here's your Royal Training Academy lesson number six, and it's the question, it's the question the Lord would ask everybody in the house today. You're not here by accident. God has a question he wants to ask you. You're not watching online by accident in this moment. You're not sitting at, at, at the loft in Davidson by accident. You're not sitting in a, in a venue by accident. God has a question that he wants to ask all of us, and here it is. What will you do with the rock? What will you do with the rock? Because the rock has already been struck. The blood and water has already flowed. The provision is available. The grace of God is available for your salvation today. The grace of God is available to heal your soul today. But what will you do with the rock? And the Bible says that there are three distinct things that we can do with the rock. The first one, the first one is to reject it. Psalm 118 and Matthew chapter 21 tell us that the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Have you rejected Jesus? I, I, I don't know what the reason was. Maybe years ago, a, a professor at your university told you the Bible couldn't be believed or you were foolish to have faith in Jesus or whatever it is, but maybe you've rejected Jesus. The second thing that we can do with the rock is stumble over it. Isaiah chapter 8 and Romans chapter 9 say, Then Jesus shall become a sanctuary. But to both the houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over. Another verse says, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Has Jesus become a stumbling block for you? Has Jesus become an offense? Have you gotten offended? Have you let a situation in your life, life keep you from fuller, fully surrendering your life to Jesus? Or, or will you receive the rock? Will you receive the rock? According to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul looks back on this very story thousands of years later, but he says this. He says this to you, to the New Testament church. He's saying that story wasn't just for the people of Israel. Listen, this is so cool. And he says, and all drank. Everybody drank. There is enough provision in the rock for all of us, for everybody. All drank the same spirit spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock 
was Christ. As you hold the wafer in your hand that is a representation of the broken body of Jesus Christ as he hung upon the cross, as the rock was struck, what will you do with the rock? Heads bowed and eyes closed at all of our locations. And I'm just going to ask if there would be somebody in the house that say, Pastor, I've rejected Jesus or I've stumbled over Jesus, but today I want to receive Jesus. I've been walking around and I'm not awake. I've been going through the motions and I'm not alive and I want to receive the breath of Jesus into my lungs so that I can live wide awake to the love of God and fully alive to my purpose. His breath is here and he's ready to breathe on you. He's ready to cause you to live alive. And if that's you, I'm going to count to three and I want you to raise your hand. You can put it back down and we'll all pray together. Pastor, I need Jesus. One, two, three. Go ahead and shoot up your hand across all the auditorium. I gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. You can put your hands down. Let's pray this prayer together. Just mean this with your heart, but let's all pray it together. Just say, Jesus, I ask you that you forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart and come into my life and help me to live wide awake to the love of God and fully alive to my purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive the bread together. And then the Bible says in the same manner, Jesus took the cup and he said, behold, this represents a new covenant of my blood that was poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. That as we take the cup together, we step into a new covenant, not based on works, but based what was already done for us on the cross, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Can we receive the cup together? And at every location as we stand in this moment, can you just begin to thank God in your own words for what he did for you? We'll pass down the little baggies and you can put your communion elements. But can you just take a moment and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your healing, for my healing. And I just want to remind you before we're dismissed today. If you need something to thank God for, can I remind you that in your Egypt, he was the one who multiplied you even in your oppression. Can I remind you that in the Passover that Jesus is the blood of the lamb that covered you and covered your death? Can I remind you in your Red Sea, he's the one who delivered you from bondage. In your Mara, he made your bitterness sweetness. In your Elam, he foreshadowed paradise. In the wilderness of sin, he took the crown of thorns for you. In your season of manna, he is the bread of life. In your Rephidim, he is your rest. And in Horeb, he is the rock of ages, the chief cornerstone. Christ, the solid rock upon which we stand. Come on, give a prayer.
Hey there, and thank you so much again for joining us for CFA Church Live. If you made the decision to live wide awake and fully alive for the first time, we want to hear about it. Send us a message, and we'll get somebody to partner with you in this new walk of your life. Also, if you haven't had the opportunity to visit one of our beautiful campuses, next week is a great time to do so. You can go to cfachurch.com and plan out your visit that way. Until then, I pray you continue loving Jesus and changing the world. Thank you.